0: Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message Good morning. I was standing in the back listening to um, that last song that we sang together about us being bound for the promised land, and I'm not sure about you, but I heard everyone singing and I, I got the chills thinking about us as a body of believers where our eyes are fixed on the end and not the intermediate things, where our hope is fixed on Christ and what he has done and where we are ultimately going. It gave me chills, and so I just wanted to say I'm really excited to be here this morning worshiping with you. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Joel Waymack. I'm one of the elders or pastors here at Refuge. We use that term synonymously. And as we've been going through this summer, you've probably realized that Trey isn't up here preaching. and That's because Trey is actually on sabbatical this summer. Um, He and Allison will start integrating back into the life of the church next month, Um, As a sneak peek, we have a whole bunch of guest preachers coming in next month, so get excited. Uh, There are some really godly men, uh, godly pastors that I'm excited to hear from next month, so stay tuned for that. This morning, though, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be jumping back into the book of Colossians, and this is the end. (laughs) We've gotten to the end of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, and I'm pretty excited to, to be here wrapping it up with you. Um, As we've been going through the book of Colossians, what we've been looking at is how we are the people of God and how Paul calls the church in Colossae and also us to be the people of God. So my hope this morning is as we wrap things up, as we kind of put a bow on things, that you see kind of these overall themes of how Paul is calling us to live and serve and love and care to find our identity in Christ, but as a people. Not just as individuals, but as people. So that's my hope for you this morning. Uh, try and listen for those themes as we go through, because the, the section that we're going to be reading this morning is kind of all over the place for us reading in. So, so that's my hope for us. So let me pray for us, and we'll continue. Father God, I thank you that you are good and that you are gracious and loving, that you have given us your word that we can trust it, that we can trust it as a good word from you through human authors, people in times and places and circumstances. I pray that we see your goodness flow through it. And I pray that this morning, that Spirit, that you work on our minds helping us see your truths. But I also pray that Spirit, that you work in our hearts, drawing our affections, our loves toward you so that we will find our identity firmly rooted in Christ who is our Lord and our Savior. It's in his name that we pray, amen. Okay, so we're at the end, but I generally find the best way to understand the end is always going back to the beginning. So I'm gonna give us a quick recap of what all we've been talking through as we've been walking through Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. So it's it's four chapters long. It's pretty short, but there's a whole bunch packed into it. So Paul starts off his letter kind of how he normally does. He starts off with a greeting, and then he starts to praise the church in Colossae. He says, you guys are doing great. What I've heard from Epaphras, I'll talk about him in a second, is that you guys are loving God, that you're pursuing faith in Christ, that you're loving his people well, you're praying. He's giving them this encouraging word because he's heard really good things from this guy named Epaphras. So Epaphras is actually the founder of the church in Colossae. He is the one who planted it, and he originally planted it because he became a believer listening to Paul's messages to the church in Ephesus. So kind of a long chain, Paul's preaching in Ephesus, Epaphras hears, becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He then goes back to his hometown of Colossae and plants the church there. And so Epaphras is actually with Paul at this point and reporting on what's going on in the church in Colossae. And Paul's like, Good job, guys. You're doing great. And so he goes on and he starts talking about these big, huge, beautiful words on who Jesus is and what he has done. So starting in, in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul starts to lay out this beautiful either hymn or creed or poem about who Jesus is. He says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He goes on and on, praising who Jesus is, giving them this beautiful picture, and then he kind of gives a one-two jab and says, and you, speaking to the Colossians and to us, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Paul's entire message he- here is about the preeminence of Christ, who he is, and how he has changed everything for those of us who believe in him. So he's reminding Colossians this is what we believe. This is what I taught Epaphras a long time ago. This is what Epaphras taught you when he planted this church, and this is what you're living in and trusting in, I don't wanna encourage you in it. So he goes on, Paul talks about his ministry, what he has been doing, how he has been serving the church. He goes on and talks about this false teaching in some way, shape, or form that is affecting the church in Colossae that he wants to fight against and war against. He wants to remind them, this is who Jesus is, don't forget about this. This is what Jesus calls you to, don't forget about it. And then he moves into very practical commands. So starting in in chapter 3, Paul says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. His goal is for for us and for the Colossians to be thinking about who is Jesus, what has he done, what has he accomplished, and now how does that affect everything that's going on in our lives? So he goes on, he says, put off the old self with all these old things, with all these bad things that are sinful sinful, put off your sinful nature, and instead take on this new self. Take on these actions that God is calling us toward. And, and he, he then moves into even more of a practical realm and says this is how relationships between one another should work and how they should look. And then finally, we get to Paul's pi- final greeting, his conclusion, which is where we're at this morning. I know, a lot that Paul covered Hopefully you remember some of those things coming out. So what we're reading this morning is actually one of the longest final greetings or conclusions of all of Paul's letters. He has a lot of things to say about a lot of different people, and he wants to make sure that he gets it all in. And so when we read through this, listen for Paul's greetings, his words of encouragement. Listen for the people and their roles, what all's going on within the life of the church. So, this morning, we're in Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. If you want to follow along in one of the, one of the Bibles out there, uh, the Blue and Maroon Bibles, this is going to be on page 985. Or you can follow along on the screen as well. Uh, actually, maybe not. I forgot to give the, the passage. <laughs> so this is Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities, the Jesus, different Jesus. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, the guy that planted their church, a servant of Christ Jesus greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that I have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So just a side note, uh, you've probably noticed that at the end of reading scripture together on Sunday mornings, whatever passage we're in, we've generally been saying, this is the word of the Lord. So that's actually a, an older liturgical call and response where the, the pastor, the person reading it says, this is the word of the Lord, and you respond with, thanks be to God. So I'm going to try it one more time real quick. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So I would say in reading this, in reading through Paul's final greeting here in Colossians, this could possibly be the most uninteresting portion of this letter for us. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't live in the first century. I don't live in Colossae. I don't really know any of these people that are listed here. And so (laughs) I When I'm reading through Paul's letter to Colossae, um, I've generally just kind of skimmed through this last section, thinking, you know, cool. Obviously, this points to this letter being written in real time, real history to real people, but this ending may not have much bearing for me. And I would say, as I've been studying and thinking through and reading through this passage... I see this actually being the culmination of what Paul has been talking about throughout this entire letter. In in what's going on in his final greeting, Paul is pulling together all these themes and showing how do they work in real time, real history, with real people who have real lives. And so my hope this morning, as as I've said, is that you see these things coming out in the lives of these people that we're reading about. So let's think about some of these people that Paul lists off here. Uh, let's talk about Luke for a little bit. So Luke, the physician. Um, I don't know about you, but I hold physicians in high regard. And in the first century, just the Roman world held physicians in high, high regard as well. And so when Paul mentions that Luke is a physician, um, he's obviously giving him some sort of honor and prestige but I would say that Luke's honor and prestige doesn't really come from his role that he has, but who he is in the life of the church, and more importantly, who God has made him into. So Luke is actually really important for, you, for your life and my life, because without him, we would not have the Gospel of Luke, where Luke literally says, I've sat down to try and record an accurate account of Jesus' life. And so we read through the Gospel of Luke because Luke took the time, he took his energy and his focus, his understanding of how the world works, his kind of attention to detail as a physician, and penned the gospel according to Luke. And then he also decided to capture what did life in the early church look like? What what were the apostles doing right after Jesus ascended? And so that's why we have the Acts of the Apostles. So two books of the Bible are attributed to Luke. And I think it's exciting to see that Luke is just in there kind of working through things in the life of the church. He's not up on a pedestal, really. Paul's just saying, hey, Luke's here. He greets you. He wants to know. He wants you to know he says hi. <laughs> kind of cool. So another person in here that we talked about a little bit already, Epaphras. He's a guy who went to Ephesus for some reason, heard the gospel, the good news, and said, I want to trust and believe in this Jesus who died and rose again. And he takes this good news and he says, man, I really want to tell people about it. You know who needs to hear about Jesus? My hometown of Colossae. He goes back, he says, I'm going to preach. And he preaches the word to them and a church forms. Like this is the church that we're reading about here. It's the church that Epaphras, just a normal guy who trusts in Jesus, goes back and tells his hometown about. One of the guys that I really want to focus on this morning that's in this letter is this guy named Onesimus. Uh, it's one of those, I would say, names that you kind of gloss over. You're like, "That's, that's a strange name. But Onesimus is actually really important here as we're concluding what Paul's been talking about in the book of Colossians. Onesimus is actually a runaway slave. So Onesimus is from Colossae, and he, for some reason, was under... was was a slave to this guy named Philemon. And under whatever circumstances there were, it seems like he stole some money or some things from Philemon. And then he got the heck out of Dodge. He escaped, and eventually he found his way to Rome. And in Rome, somehow, some way, he gets connected with Christian believers. He hears Paul's message of good news about Jesus and becomes a believer, so Onesimus, this slave from Colossae, here's the good news, accepts it, trusts Jesus as his Lord, and now he's with Paul in Rome, and something's going on here. Onesimus' life has been transformed, and Paul, in wanting to be faithful to Onesimus and to Philemon, who's actually also a Christian, he's actually probably hosting the church in his own home in Colossae, Paul wants to be faithful to Philemon and send Onesimus back. It's kind of crazy. And so, what is Paul going to do? Well, if we look at the very beginning of our passage this morning, he says, "Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Literally, Paul's actually going to give the letter to the Colossian church, to this guy named Tychicus. And he's also going to send with Tychicus, this guy named Onesimus. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And what is he handing to Onesimus? But a specific letter to his master, Philemon, that Onesimus is supposed to hand deliver to his old master. That's crazy. I don't know about you, but I think that sounds crazy. And so, we know that both Tychicus and Philemon go back to Colossae, and Onesimus hands this letter to Philemon. So let me read to you from from that letter. It's actually part of the New Testament. It's probably one of those letters that you haven't really read through before. Or if you did, you probably just skimmed through because you thought, that's crazy. So, I'm going to start in Philemon chapter. Uh, There's only one chapter. So verse 8, I'm going to read through uh, verse 16. So this is Paul. He is writing to Philemon, and he's talking about Onesimus. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, free or release Onesimus, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, he's around 60, so take that for what it is, but of your own accord, for this purpose, this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Onesimus is going to his old master Philemon, who he has probably stolen from. He's obviously run away, and he's returning with this letter from Paul and seeing what Philemon does. I don't know about you, I can't imagine doing that. If I was in Onesimus' shoes, I can't imagine doing that unless something had radically transformed my life. I think that Onesimus is willing to do this, willing to do what Paul commands him to do, take this letter, hand it back to his old master, because his identity, his purpose, his outlook on life has completely changed. This is what we've been reading about in Paul's letter. We've been picking it up in bits and pieces as we've been going along. But Paul is talking in his letter about our identities being completely changed. And here in the life of Onesimus, we see that playing out the fruit of a completely changed life playing out. Jesus is now Onesimus' Onesimus's complete identity. His identity isn't, I was a slave, or I am a slave, or I am an escaped slave but it's one that I want to fulfill my duty to those that I have have connections with. And think about this. Paul is trusting that Philemon's identity has also been completely and radically changed by Christ. He is sending a slave back to his master. And honestly, under Roman law, Philemon could easily have Onesimus killed. He ran away and stole from him. Those are both punishable pretty much by death under Roman law. And so Paul is trusting that Christ has radically changed Philemon's heart as well. As we've been going through and we've been reading through the book of Colossians, Paul has been harping over and over and over again that when we trust Jesus as Lord, our entire identity changes. We are no longer defined by our old selves but we are now defined by Christ, whom we are united with in faith. So this, as I was thinking about this this past week and kind of mulling it over, I was trying to think through what in, in my life do I use to define myself? Where is my identity found? Because let's also be honest with one another. We can say with lofty words that our identity is found in Christ, but obviously we are still living in a sinful, broken world. We still have sinful desires warring within us, and God calls us to be changed as Paul does, obviously putting off the old self, putting on the new self, but that isn't something that's immediate that we see like perfection in. Instead, When we talk about our identity being in Christ, we also have a whole bunch of other identities or a whole bunch of other ways in which we try and define ourselves that are attached to our old self. It could be things like your job or your family or your health or your social status or money or grades. There's a whole bunch of different things that we could look to in this life to say, this thing actually defines me. It gives me identity or purpose. And those, those are things that are warring against God's command and Paul's command here in Colossians that we find our identity in Christ. It's the only way, like I said before, that I can see Onesimus going back to Philemon and Philemon taking him back in to the brotherhood, of the, the fellowship of the saints, the church there. And it's also interesting to me that as I look at that, when I look at these two men's identities being changed radically by Christ, I'm seeing that they're laying aside their identities within uh, within society, things that they would hold on to. For instance, in Roman society, Philemon would never be associated in a social setting with Onesimus. Someone who is a slave master within Roman society has wealth and prestige and generally social status, and the idea that he would, one, just like be talking with in a normal conversation with Onesimus is pretty, pretty far-fetched. Their social circles are completely different. But here, Paul, in his letter to Philemon, is literally saying, no, you two are brothers now, part of the same household of faith. You two have the same identity. You have the same definition to who you are. There is no social status here. It's crazy. When our identity is found in Christ, it radically transforms us. But when our identity is found in Christ, it also radically changes our focus and our outlook on life. Our focus shifts subtly off of ourselves and onto others. That's actually what Paul is calling Onesimus and Philemon to in this type of relationship, is that you're no longer concerned about yourself, Philemon, what was stolen from you. You're no longer concerned about this contract of slavery being broken. You're concerned about your brother in Christ. And Onesimus, yeah, you could continue to be on the run. You could continue to live as a fugitive, but if you truly care about Philemon, you're gonna go back and you're going to serve him and love him and care for him because he is now your brother in Christ. It's crazy. The transformation here is taking taking their eyes off of themselves and shifting the focus onto others. Another way we see that coming out here in the conclusion of this letter is that Paul is sending Tychicus and Onesimus to the church in Colossae as a whole. He's sending them to encourage and to exhort, to deliver these letters, but also to stay with them and teach and, like I said, encourage them in the faith out of everyone that we've talked about so far in the book of Colossians that needs encouragement and ministry, I would say Paul is right up there as first and foremost. He is in prison. Before he was imprisoned in Rome, he was actually imprisoned in Caesarea. Eventually, he appealed to Caesar, and he said, I'm not getting a fair trial here. I'm a Roman citizen. I'm going to appeal to Caesar. Side note, he actually did that to try and go preach the gospel to Caesar. Crazy. But he goes, he takes a ship ride, a voyage, all the way over to Rome. He's shipwrecked. He's in a really bad shape. He gets to Rome, and he's under house arrest, pretty much in chains with his jailer. And this lasts for a long period of time. And there's no way for him to go out and get what he needs. He has to rely on other people to come, encourage, support, bring supplies to him as he's under house arrest. So when I think about this letter, and I think about, about Paul saying, you know, this guy, Tychicus, Tychicus, he is really an encourager. He's been ministering to me, helping me as I've been living here. And he says, you know, really, I'm, I'm going to send him, I'm going to send him to you guys for encouragement. I'm, I'm blown away. Paul here is saying that he cares more about those that his eyes are on he shifted his focus off himself to the church in colossae and he's sending pretty much his best co-worker laborer minister uh encourager to the church in colossae his eyes are focused on those there this shouldn't really surprise us we've been reading about this over and over again as we've been going through the book of the book of colossians We've seen it in chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, where Paul talks about other believers. We are to encourage and bear with one another, We're to love one another and care for one another. Our focus is to be on others, not on ourselves. We read it again in chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, as Paul gives specific commands for husbands and wives, where each person in the relationship is supposed to be focused on the other person, not on themselves. We see it again in chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, where Paul talks about the relationship between parents and children, where the focus of parents is supposed to be on their children, and the children's focus is supposed to be on their parents. Once again, the focus is on the other person in the relationship. We read it, Paul spends quite a bit of time talking about the relationship between slaves and masters, presumably because Onesimus is going back to Philemon, and he says, you know, slaves, be concerned for your master's well-being. Serve them as if you are serving the Lord. Make sure your eyes and your focus is on them, caring for what they care about and serving them well. And likewise, masters, care for your slaves. Be concerned about their well-being. Know that, right, that God is looking at your righteousness towards your slaves. That's crazy. The focus is on the other person, even in that type of relationship. And Paul goes on and talks about it in terms of unbelievers. How should the church, how should we as the local church or the church in Colossae be looking at, other, at unbelievers? Well, in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he says, have your focus on those outside of your congregation so that you can be salt in this world, so that you can be ready to give an account of who God is and what he has done. Have your focus outside of yourselves. Over and over and over again, Paul is laying out in very practical terms, within his letter, that our focus, when our identity is in Christ, needs to be on other people and not on ourselves. With that, with our focus being outward on others and not inward on ourselves when our identity is in Christ, we also see the good calling here at the end of, the, end of his letter towards using our gifts and our abilities as service to our church. Paul is going through and he's talking about all of these people because these are all people that are serving, ministering, using the gifts that God has given them in some way, shape, or form. Tychicus and Onesimus are going to go and preach and encourage the church in Colossae. They're using their gifts for the benefit of the church. Epaphras, we read that Paul, that he is in prayer. He is teaching and loving the church well that he planted, but he's also in constant prayer for them while he's in Rome. He's praying for them. Nympha in Laodicea, she's opened up her home. She's showing hospitality to the church because this is the gift that God has given her, and she says, I want to use this faithfully within the church. Archippus, his ministry, probably of teaching, He's called, be faithful in that. Make sure that you are preaching and teaching well. When we look at our focus being on others, that means that we are called to serve and love, not only just in immediate relationships that we have, but also at large in our church relationship amongst one another, serving, loving, using our gifts for the good of each other. So with that, I would say we've we've come to the end of of Colossians. And I would say that as we've been looking through it, hopefully you've seen how this conclusion ties in a very real way these themes that have been coming up as we've been reading. Themes where we see Jesus' life, death, and resurrection changes everything. Because he is Lord over all creation and now Lord over us, his calling on our lives changes everything. We are members of his body and our hope is in him. And so we can, we can shift our focus off of ourselves and onto him who is Lord over all things and seek to love and serve and care for those that he has placed in our lives. This is our calling as the people of God. To trust in Christ and what he has done to love and serve and faithfully minister to those that are around us. Praise God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are good to us, that you have loved us and cared for us enough, that you have sent Jesus into this world to save, reconcile, redeem us, your wayward people. We thank you that you have transformed our lives, our identity, that it is found in Christ and him alone and not in the fleeting things of this world. I pray that this week, as we continue to ponder and think through Paul's letter to the Colossians, that you will make these things real and known to us through your spirit. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and our King. Amen building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.